Welcome to the My Canine Coach Podcast, a show that coaches dog owners on how to achieve their ideal lifestyle with and for their dogs. You'll hear from canine coach Dana as she breaks down actionable dog training protocols, explores current dog training trends, and shares insights from her own experiences owning and working with dogs. Now, here's your host, canine coach Dana. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the My Canine Coach podcast. As always, I'm your host, canine coach Dana, and I'm joined by my silent co-host, Loki, who's my bohemian shepherd. For today's episode, I decided I would talk about one of the number one things people hire me to help them with, and that's pulling on leash. And usually this isn't the catalyst or the reason they decided to reach out to me, but it always comes up or it's mentioned as something else besides the main issue that their dog has that they also want to then work on and they want to make better. So today we're going to dive into why our dogs pull on leash, and then we're going to talk about tools and ways to help fix it because there are many, many routes that you can take. So let's talk about why our dogs pull on the leash in the first place. I just went to a seminar about two months back now where one of the hosts, Jay Jack, if you uh, don't know who that is, you should. He's a phenomenal trainer, especially when it comes to behavioral work. And he's developed many concepts that I actually have adopted and use in my own training system. So go look him up. He's a fantastic trainer to learn from. But anyway, during the seminar, Jay spent time talking about leash pulling and he hit home on something that I want to reshare with you all here. And that's the length of the leash. He really emphasized how we always walk our dogs on such a short leash. The standard is usually six feet. So if you go into any dog store, all of their leashes will be at that length. And have you ever actually wondered why that's the normal leash length? I honestly have not. Like why is six feet the magic number? I never really thought about it. Um, So if you hadn't, that's totally okay. It wasn't something that I really paid much attention to until this seminar, but there is actually something to it. And ironically, COVID is actually a clue as to why six feet is that standard length that we landed on for leashes for our dogs. So during COVID, during like the peak of COVID, we were all asked to give everybody around us space and stand apart from each other so that we could prevent the spread of the contagion. And six feet was the magic number that we landed on. So there we go. We've got six feet popping up again. When we're six feet away from each other for COVID purposes, that limits or mitigates the risk of the spread of contagion. But in general, if you stand six feet away from somebody, does it feel like you're together, like you're standing with that person. Like if you went for a walk with your friend and you stayed six feet or more apart from each other for the whole walk, it would feel pretty distant. Like you're not actually on a walk together. You're just walking near someone else. 
And since COVID, it's been kind of ingrained in us that in order to give someone else ample space and make them feel like we're not crowding their space, we need to be standing about six feet apart from them or more. Because I know when I'm standing like in a checkout line or somewhere, you know, in the grocery store or something and someone gets in line behind me and they're within the six feet distance now, it feels to me like they're literally standing on top of me. Like it makes me so uncomfortable now because I got so accustomed to marking or not even consciously marking, but just visually being able to assess that if they're within that six feet, they're too close. And if they're outside that six feet, then they're at the perfect distance, I don't feel like they're bombarding me or they're crowding my space. Like they're in their own space. I'm in my own space. And so I'm saying all of this to explain or describe how when someone is within six feet of you, it feels like you're together. But when they're beyond that six feet, it doesn't. You just are in the same location or you happen to be in the same store together at the same time. So from a human perspective, and this is what Jay pointed out during the seminar. From a human perspective, anything farther away than six feet feels like you're not with the other person. And it's that perspective that has determined our leash length. Because when our dogs are six feet away from us, it feels like they're on the edge of getting away from us. And we're about to no longer have the ability to control them. Like if they go beyond that six foot distance, all of a sudden our commands aren't going to work. We, we feel this need to be closer to our dogs or within that distance, six feet of our dogs in order to feel assured that if we ask them to do something, they're going to follow through on that command. Have you ever felt like that? Like when your dog is moving away from you, all of a sudden they reach some point where you get this anxious feeling where if they continue to con- move away from you, you're, you feel like you're losing control the farther and farther away they go. Because I certainly have had that feeling and felt that feeling until I've trained Loki to be off-leash reliable. Before that, after a certain distance, it felt like he was no longer with me and I was no longer able to have control over him. Or if I asked him to do something, there was a really low chance and a high risk that he was going to blow me off and continue to do what he wanted. So when I was doing a little bit of research in preparation for today's episode, I actually learned that this sensation or this feeling actually is termed something. It's called something. It's called the critical distance, which is the distance at which one no longer feels safe or connected to their source of information. And so that's totally applicable to to you and your dog. There's a critical distance where you feel that if the dog strayed beyond that, you no longer are connected to them and you no longer are able to give them information or influence their actions. The dogs also feel this. So you'll notice this with especially young dogs. So if you have a puppy, you'll notice that they have a critical distance where if you are out in your yard or you're walking around your house or doing something where there is space for them to roam and move, they tend to stay within a certain 
radius of you. If you move too far away, all of a sudden your puppy is closing that distance again. And that's because they felt that they were at the critical distance or beyond the critical distance and needed to close that gap so that they were still connected to their source of information and guidance about what to do in this space at this time, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the kicker. A dog's critical distance is drastically different from a human's critical distance. So have you ever watched a pack of dogs or have you ever watched like a nature show about wolves or anything like that? And have you ever seen them move together as a unit? Usually they're way more spread apart than humans would be if humans were moving together as a unit. They're certainly not sticking within six feet of each other. So when I feel like Loki is too far away and we're not together, he actually feels like we are together. He's like, yeah, we're out here together. You're 25 feet away from me, but that's totally normal. I'm not at my critical distance yet. I still feel connected to you. Critical distance also varies based on where the dog is and how comfortable they feel in that environment. So a puppy, like a brand new puppy just plopped down into your house with you for the first time is going to keep a really tight critical distance. They may stay within six feet of you because they're very unsure of where they are and they know you are their source of information and they're not fully grown yet. So they're not totally confident about what they should be doing and they want to keep out of danger. So they would stick really close to you. As they get more comfortable with themselves, they gain more confidence, they gain more skills, and they get more comfortable in the environment that they're in, so say your house or your backyard, they then feel more comfortable to expand that critical distance out farther. So you'll notice if you go to a brand new place with your dog, your dog will tend to kind of stick closer to you than they typically would, say, in your backyard or at the park where you take them every day. Then as they get comfortable, though, in that new space, you'll see their range start to expand because they don't need to rely on you for information in this space anymore because they feel confident and comfortable in it. But again, their critical distance is drastically different from ours. We're not going to feel when they go beyond that six feet or averagey six feet, that they're still connected to us. They are just perceiving that they are, but we are not. So what ended up happening when we were back in the day, whenever this was, deciding how long the standard leash was, for our own comfort, we decided that we need to have the dog on a six-foot leash so that we, the humans, feel like we're together with the dog. But from the dog's perspective, they feel like, dude, why are you on top of me right now? You're crowding my space. So bringing this all back to why your dog pulls you, for one thing, they're just roaming at the distance from you that they are comfortable being at. So it's more natural for them to meander and to roam in a general direction with the option to zigzag, stop and sniff, trot, slowly crouch down to smell something, sniff a bush, move to the side... All of these movements are very natural to them. That's how they progress forward. We as humans, we walk in a straight line. We go in a singular direction, but that's not normal for a dog to be doing. So when they're on a six-foot leash, we're restricting their natural instincts, one, of how to walk, and B, we're literally asking them to be so close to us that they feel that we are right on top of them. So this is why we get 
the pulling on the leash, the crossing in front of us or behind us or tangling around trees or poles. It's all because our dog is doing their best to do what feels natural to them with a six feet hindrance attached to them. So that's one reason why you get the pulling. And typically that's the reason why you get the pulling from the get-go, from the start. The day one you put the leash on the puppy, that's why they start doing the pulling and moving erratically all over the place. They, from day one, learn to pull on the leash because they've never been taught what to do when a leash is on them. They haven't been trained yet. And so their internal drives are telling them to go explore this world that they just came into. And then therefore we get the pulling. That being said, for my puppies, I advocate walking them on a harness and a retractable leash. The retractable leash gets a lot of hate in the dog training world, but it has some very specific use cases in my book, at least, one of which is for puppies. The retractable lets your puppy have more leash to explore the world as they should be doing at that age. 100%, you should be walking your puppy with the goal of letting them explore all kinds of things and taking them to all different types of places. So for puppies, I say, let them pull on the leash. That's what a harness is for. Harnesses were designed to put pressure on a dog's body in areas that are physically the most efficient at pushing a load. So that's what a harness was made for. It's a safety tool that applies the load force on an area of the dog's body that can effectively handle it. So use the tool as it's designed for and let your puppy pull into that. Let them explore, let them navigate the world, let them figure out what this world is like. That's your job, that's your role as their owner and handler and leader at that age. Then once they're out of their socialization phase, our puppy is reaching adolescence and they're cognitively ready for more challenging training. Then we can talk about training them to walk on a loose leash with a six foot bubble surrounding you. But other than that, I don't care if your dog pulls on a harness. That's their job to do, A, when they're in a harness. And if you have a young dog, they should be allowed to explore and do stuff. And you shouldn't be so worried about trying to get them to walk nicely with you. You really should be more worried about environmental exposure. Now, say you have an adult dog and you don't really care if they walk nicely, then put them in a harness and let them pull. Use that as your go-to standard walk procedure. Your dog doesn't have to walk on a loose leash. There's no rule that says that they have to. Now there are certain behavior problems that can be aggravated or escalated when a dog is pulling on the leash and gaining more control on your walk will help with those behavior problems. But if you have a reasonably behaved dog that pulls you around, just strap it in a harness and go on your walk like that. If it doesn't bother you, then don't change it. Don't feel like you have to change that because the society standard, whatever the heck that is, tells you that you need to have a dog that walks nicely on a leash. There is no society standard. You decide what you want your dog to do and what you're comfortable with your dog doing. If that's you don't care if they pull you around, then strap them in a harness, let them pull you around. Now, if you're listening to this episode, then I assume you're here because you don't want your dog pulling you around. So we'll get back on track. Let's talk about the second reason why your dog pulls you. 
Here's what most commonly happens the first time or the first few walks that we go on with our dog. We put the leash and their collar on and we head out the door. And at some point, the dog starts pulling to get to something. And we don't expect it. So we go with them, at least initially, in that direction. Now, even if we go with them for just a few steps, our dog learns that pulling and fighting through the pressure that they're feeling on their collar gets them closer to their goal. They learn that they can muscle through it, essentially. So what happens is hope is created. If I pull hard enough, I'll get to what I want because one time in my life, I pushed myself despite the resistance I felt and it actually got me closer to my goal. So the next time when I feel that same resistance, all I have to do is push through it and I'll get to what I want. And here's the kicker. If something has worked for you in the past and you know it works, but then all of a sudden, for some reason, today it's not working, you're actually going to try harder at doing it because it goes against your logic for it to not work. So here's a classic example I always explain to people. Your TV remote. Every time you push the button on your remote, your TV turns on. The first time that you experienced this, you realized, oh, pushing this button gets my TV to turn on. So the next time you go to watch TV, you now have an anticipation of pushing the button will result in the TV turning on. When it does, that second time you've tried it, your anticipation is now confirmed. So the third time you go to turn the TV on and you grab your remote, you now have an expectation that every time you push the button, the TV will turn on. Now, you go on living your life this way until one day you sit down on the couch, you raise the remote, push the button, and the TV doesn't turn on. If I were a betting person, which I am not, I really, really hate risk, so I never make any bets or gamble or anything like that. But if I were, I could make a foolproof bet that the very next thing you would do in that moment after the remote failed to turn on the TV is that you would push that button again with a little more oomph or maybe with a little bit more accuracy in the direction you're pointing it. And this is because you've established an expectation that pushing this button turns on your TV. And when all of a sudden it doesn't, you're not only going to try it again, but you're going to try harder to make it work. And this is because you think, oh, maybe I did it wrong, or maybe I didn't push it hard enough, or didn't have the right angle, or maybe, maybe, maybe. So you try again with more effort. This is what your dog will do if all of a sudden pulling doesn't get them those few steps that it once did. Once they have the expectation that pulling gets them some degree of success and you decide, I'm going to put a stop to this nonsense starting today when my dog pulls, I'm not going to move. That'll teach them that pulling doesn't work. And we'll talk about later whether that strategy would or wouldn't work. But for now, focusing in on that moment that you plant your feet and your dog doesn't get those few more steps, they're going to try 
harder, they're going to pull harder. Why? Because their expectation wasn't met and they know that this should work. So they think maybe I just need to do it a little bit better and it will start working again. I'll get the results that I know should be happening. Now, this whole scenario I've been describing plays out like the dog gets a little bit closer to what they want, but I haven't explained what else happens once they actually do get there. So your dog pulls you, they feel that tension in their collar from the leash, but they're powering through and they're getting closer to, let's say, that tree that they want to sniff. Until all of a sudden, they did it, they got there. They're now at the tree, so they've stopped moving forward. And what do we do? We relax the leash. Naturally, we would do that because why would we want to be just standing there holding all of that tension while our dog is just sniffing around in one spot? We want to give our arm a break, so we stop pulling against our dog and we move close enough to them that we can relax our arm and the leash goes slack. And that is when we have our second learning moment for our dog. We teach them that the way to make the feeling of that leash tension and resistance go away is by pulling. Because it was after they pulled hard against the leash that the tension magically went away. And this becomes the new expectation for our dogs that whenever that feeling happens, that tightening and resistance, the foolproof, surefire way to make that stop is by firstly pushing through it, pulling against it, and if they do that hard enough and well enough, all of that choking sensation will eventually stop. So unintentionally, we train our dogs to pull. Once that tension is felt, they're convinced that the way to make it go away is by powering through it to get to their desired destination. It's not their fault that they pull because that's what we've actually taught them accidentally. And it's not our fault either because you only know what you know at the time and you weren't doing it on purpose. It's just these two learning moments happened because we all did what felt natural in that moment. So hopefully now I've expanded your knowledge on why your dog pulls in the first place and you understand what caused the pulling to begin and what solidified it. So you can now prevent those learning moments from training your next dog to pull you too. But that doesn't help you stop the pulling that you're currently experiencing with your current dog. So let's get into how to teach our dogs or train our dogs to stop pulling us around on the leash. So we'll go back to our imaginary owner here who decided today was the day that they're going to stop the leash pulling and resist by stopping and standing still every time their dog got to the end of the leash and began to pull. Now, this method can work, but there are more efficient ways to teach your dog not to pull. In order for this strategy to work, you have to be 100% consistent in never giving an inch when your dog starts to create tension because you have to undo their expectations and create the opposite expectation. If anyone has ever tried to quit a habit or heard the saying that it takes 21 days to quit a habit, you can get a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take you to change your dog's expectation to pulling results in us going nowhere and for them to learn that it's a poor strategy to try to pull harder. What's also just annoying about this method is 
your walk turns into the game Red Light, Green Light, if you've ever played that, where you've got people in a field, one person's on one end, everybody else is on the other end of the field, and the person on the single person by themselves isn't facing the crowd of people on the other end, and they shout out green light, which means everybody can start moving, and then when they shout red light, you have to stop, and they try to turn around and catch you moving. It's a whole thing. If you played it, you know what I'm talking about, but basically the game is starting, stopping, starting, stopping. Usually that's what happens when you try to employ this method. Your walk ends up looking like a red light green light game where you can only go like one to three steps and then your dog hits the end of the leash and you have to stop wait for the leash to relax before you can start moving forward again and you repeat that over and over and over again so it ends up taking you like 20 minutes to go 10 yards now if you have the patience for that you have much more patience than i do but if you do, it would work if you wanted to put in all that time and you could be 100% perfect. You would effectively rewire that expectation. But if your dog's been practicing pulling you around for even just a year, but let's face it, maybe they've been pulling you for two years, three years, four years of their life, it's going to take you a real long time to undo that expectation because that expectation has been confirmed for the past four years or however long. And the other thing is you have to be 100% perfect. If you're not perfect and your dog is still gaining some advantage by pulling, then the pulling is never really going to stop because that expectation was never undone. They always still have the expectation that they can get somewhere or they can gain a little bit more ground by pulling. Now, there are tons of other methods out there, loads actually. So I'm going to talk about two to three methods that I subscribe to or that I use with my clients. These are the ones that I most routinely use. And we reach our goals of a heel walk or a loose leash walk much faster than the method of I'm going to go out and stop every time my dog starts to pull and I'm not going to move forward until they give me some slack back in the leash. But before we get into those, let's actually talk about the difference between a heel walk and a loose leash walk, which always gives me a hard time. <laughs> I have a hard time saying loose leash. Try to say that five times fast. I say that on a regular basis, but I always end up fiddling through the two words. So if you hear me do that, that's what's going on. But let's talk about what makes those two different things. If you want your dog to learn to walk in a heel position with you, that means when commanded to, they come to your side so that their head or their shoulder is even with your thigh and they stay in that place while you walk forward. So they don't lag behind and they don't walk ahead. They walk even with you on one side and they don't stray from that spot. A loose leash, see, there I go again. A loose leash walk simply means your dog is allowed to walk anywhere within a six foot radius of you. Their only job is when they feel the leash tighten or tense, they are to move in a way on their own to relieve that tension. So their only job is to not pull essentially. They can be anywhere they want in front, behind, to your left, to your right. It doesn't matter. So long as the leash has slack in it, they're golden. 
So let's first talk about how to achieve the heel walk because I typically only use one method for that and I'll save my other two methods for teaching you how to train your dog to walk on a loose leash. Depending on the dog that I'm working with, I'll either use a slip leash, a star mark collar, or a prong collar to train my heel walk. Why I use these tools is because these types of collars provide a clear and obvious pressure and release. What do I mean by that? When I pull on the leash that's connected to one of these collars, the collar tightens all the way around the neck of the dog rather than when you pull on a regular collar, that force is all going to be placed on the front of the dog's neck or the opposite side of where the leash is pulling from. So all of the force that you're pulling against the dog with is being applied to one focal point on your dog's neck, which is dangerous because that focal point could be the trachea and then we could have issues with our dog's trachea. These types of collars distribute that pressure all the way around the dog's neck. So every part of the dog's neck circumference wise is feeling that pressure and not just one focal point. This makes that pressure very clear and obvious to the dogs because it feels very different than what they're used to. So they're more up to pay attention to it, which really just helps me with the training. It also helps me provide a lot of clarity to them. Then when I release that tension from the leash or I stop pulling from my end, these types of collars relax. So that pressure all of a sudden very quickly and very clearly goes completely away. It's that feature or that ability that I now have to turn the pressure on and off in a way that is very perceptible to the dog that then allows me to tell them when they're doing what I want and when they're not doing what I want. So my expectations become very clear to the dog. When the collar is applying pressure to the dog, they understand, oh, I must be doing something wrong. When the collar is relaxed and loose, oh, I must be doing something right or I must be doing what my owner or handler wants me to be doing right now. So to train the heel, I teach the dog that when they feel the collar popping, that means that they need to back up. That's basically all I teach in order to get a dog to walk in heel position for us. I first teach them how to respond when they feel the collar pressure happening. So what that looks like is the dog has their collar on, one of those three, I'm holding the leash and usually I stand in front of them so that we're facing each other. So the dog's in front of me, I'm in front of the dog, we're looking right at each other. Then I start popping the leash just so they feel it, not to cause discomfort or anything like that. I'm just using the pops to provide some sort of guidance and feedback to the dog. And I'm doing it in a way where the leash is behind the dog's head and my hand or my wrist really is flicking so that the leash is moving away from the dog's head and towards their tail, essentially in the direction of their spine away from their head. And these small tiny flicks or small tiny pops allow me to communicate with the dog as to what I want them to do. At the same time that I'm doing that, I'm giving those little pops, I start 
pressing forward into the dog very slightly at first, but stepping into them if I have to, just to get their body to shift backwards. So with my own body, I'm going to try and press into the space that is between me and the dog as we're facing each other. And if I need to, I'll take a full step, but really I'm just going to try and lean forward and see if I can get their body weight or their legs or their feet to move backwards or shift backwards. That's all that I'm looking for. When their body weight shifts back, or if I'm lucky enough and they do actually take a step back right away, I stop the pops, I give them space again with my body, so I release that pressure that I put by getting closer to them, I mark, and then I reward them with food. So by marking, I usually use my marker word, which is typically going to be the word yes, or if my client is training their dog with a clicker and we've been using a clicker, then I'll use a clicker. And then after I say yes or after I click, I give them food. And then we repeat and I keep doing this over and over and over again until as soon as I start giving them those flicks of my wrist and popping them with the collar very lightly, they immediately start backing up a few steps. And once I have that, then I move to the side of them so that I can show them the picture of what it looks like as if we're on a walk, me standing next to them with their body, even with mine. And I use the pops again to get them to back up so that they learn that they need to do the same thing when those pops start, regardless of whether I'm standing in front of them or if I'm standing next to them. Once they have that understanding that it doesn't really matter what my body is doing, all that matters is that they respond to the pops when they're given, we start walking forward. As we begin walking forward, whenever the dog starts to pass ahead of me, I stop moving. I apply those pops to tell them, hey, you need to back up. When they do and they end up back in that heel position that I'm looking for, I stop the popping, I mark, and I reward. Then we start walking forward again. After that dog gets that part down, I can then do it in motion. So I'm going to continue to do the walking forward. If the dog passes me, I'll stop, use the pops, mark and reward. And I'll do that until the dog very consistently, as soon as I stop and apply that first pop, or even before I start applying the pops, the dog starts to back up. That tells me they're ready to move on to the next step. And that's when we can start to do it all in motion. So when we're in motion, I don't actually stop moving at this point. I continue to move forward and simultaneously pop the collar to get the dog to back up if while we're moving forward, they start to move ahead of me so that my forward movement and their backward movement gets them back into that heel position a lot faster. I can stop the popping at that point, mark and reward. We practice that a bunch. And then at that point, I start to wean off of rewards. So the dog eventually only gets a few treats per walk, either for listening to the pops and backing up when I need them to do that. If they drift ahead of me or drift to the side or something like that, I'll use the pops and get them back into position, mark and reward. Or on our walk, I will reward them for just staying in that heel position for me. I'll randomly say yes or I'll randomly click and give them a treat for just doing such a great job and to show them that they can earn rewards for just doing the right thing. They don't have to get out of position in order to earn the reward. 
A dog that thinks that that is the case would do it purposefully. So we would get a dog while we're on our walk constantly leaving the heel position because they think that's the way to get the next chain of events started that lead to them getting a reward. And we don't want them doing that on purpose because otherwise we just have to nag our dog the whole time we're on a walk. So it's important that after you get all of that down, the dog understands how to do it while you continue to be in motion, you continue walking forward. At that point, you need to wean off using treats every time you pop them. You shouldn't be rewarding them every single time after that. But you should especially make sure that you start giving them rewards for staying in the position and not drifting out of it so that they learn that they can just get food for doing what you want and they can avoid the entire issue of the leash popping in the first place. Usually this whole process is taught pretty quickly. It takes me one to two lessons to teach the dog this skill and then the walks are pretty easy peasy. The true training comes into play after I leave and it really comes down to whether or not the owner is consistent. Since the dog just learned this, they need a lot of practice and repetition of the rules remaining the exact same in a variety of circumstances for it really to become an ingrained habit and expectation. Thankfully, my owners take up the charge and really commit to helping their dog by staying consistent on their walks. They have dogs that walk nicely and heal because the dog understands how to get back into position if they stray. And the dog learns to just stay there because they get paid to do it and they can avoid the popping entirely if they just hang out in that spot. So that's how I teach a heel position walk. It's not a formal heel in the way owners who compete in events with their dogs would want their heel taught. But for the purposes of the average owner, it gets you a dog that walks in heel position and doesn't stray from that spot. And if they do, they have, or the owner has a way of getting them back into position without a lot of conflict or anything like that. It just becomes a tactile cue or like a physical cue that the dog goes, oh yeah, that's right, I'm supposed to be over here. Now, it's also important if you teach a dog to walk in heel with you on your walks that you additionally have a cue that lets them know that they are released from that heel position. And this is because without a cue that tells them they don't have to be there anymore, we end up making this whole thing really murky Because at some point from the dog's perspective, their owner just isn't going to make them get back into heel position if they leave it. So the dog gets confused about when they are and when they aren't expected to stay there. Like a lot of times if you don't have a release cue, you go on your walk starting in heel and you do your walk. And then when you get home, You just let the dog leave the heel position because you're home and you know that the walk is over, but the dog at that point got to leave heel position without you reminding them to go back. So they learn that there are times when they can just choose to leave the heel position and then we end up kind of making it all really murky. So it's important to have a release cue. I like to use the word break and then gesture with my arm like a sweeping after you, sir, or after you, ma'am type of motion to let the dog know that they can leave the heel position and they can do what they want to do at that point. The two key times when you want to make sure that you're using this cue is at the end of every walk so that 
your dog understands, oh, the walk is over. I am allowed to leave this position now. And secondly, you want to use it periodically during your walk. If the reason you're taking your dog on a walk is to give them enrichment and exercise and fulfillment, then they need to have breaks from walking and heal to actually interact with the environment in order for them to get the enrichment, exercise, and fulfillment. So you need to use a break cue to allow them to go sniff and mark things and all that kind of stuff, but make sure that they're not pulling you around when they're on their breaks. After we've taught them the pops, most dogs typically will yield to the pressure of the leash and the collar on their own rather than pulling harder into them. So you shouldn't have a dog that really tries pulling you around when they're on their breaks, but just make sure you're not reinforcing the pulling by going with them if they do start to pull you a little bit while they're on their break. So that's how I train a dog to walk in heel. Let's now switch over to teaching your dog or training your dog to walk on a loose leash, which again just means that they're responsible for yielding to the leash tension whenever they feel it, but they can be in any position in relation to you. There are two ways I typically teach this. The first way is by creating a conditioned response to the sensation of the collar and leash tension. What that means is just like in my example of the dog learning that tension means I should pull harder, I actually train the dog or teach the dog that the tension means you need to come back towards your owner. So how you do this is actually quite simple. I use one of the training tools that I've already mentioned, one of those collars. If it's a puppy or a dog that hasn't yet learned to pull into a regular collar yet or doesn't have the expectation or the reinforcement history of pulling into a regular collar yet, then I'll just use a regular thick width collar rather than one of those other tools. But regardless, we're using some sort of collar that the dog doesn't really have prior experience pulling into with. Then once we're all set up, I've got the collar on the dog, I have the leash attached to the dog and the leash, other end of the leash in my hand. Then I create tension myself on the leash so that the collar applies pressure to the dog's neck. I then mark and reward the dog. So the dog is doing whatever it wants. It's doing nothing when I apply the tension. It doesn't really matter what they're doing at all. All I want to do is every single time they feel that pressure, they feel that tension, mark and reward them so that they start to associate the tension and the pressure with getting a reward from me. So I'll stand there in a low distraction environment as we always do when we're training something new. I will pop the leash to add tension. And then as soon as the leash pop happens, I mark by saying yes or using my clicker and then giving the dog a treat. And I repeat this over and over and over and over and over to build a conditioned response of leash is tense. I return to my owner in expectation of reward. Leash is tense, I return to my owner in expectation of reward. Leash is tense, I return to my owner in expectation of reward. And yes, I get the reward. Once that is achieved, what it looks like is a dog not really paying attention to me whatsoever. And then when I pop the leash, the dog immediately turns around and starts to move towards me because they're expecting hearing me mark them with either a yes or a click and then getting a reward from me. So think of it like someone saying your name and then you immediately perk up 
and you look around, that's a conditioned response. You didn't consciously decide to find the source of the voice that called out your name. You just automatically look around because it's been repeated over and over throughout your life that when you hear your name, someone is about to tell you something or talk to you or need your attention. So once we get that type of a response where it's just automatic in a low distraction environment, we graduate to a more challenging but still achievable environment and condition the response there. And then we rinse and repeat this process until anywhere we take this dog, we can pop and they'll automatically turn and come towards us. Once we have that, then we go on our walk. If we've done our conditioning well enough, then when the dog naturally walks ahead and hits the end of the leash, they will turn and come back towards us to get their reward because that's what they expect to happen every single time they feel that sensation. At that point, we start to wean off rewards until we're at roughly a 25% of the time giving a reward after they come back to us. That number is so specific because it's been shown in behavioral science as the most motivating reward schedule. And rewarding any less often than that will actually make the dog lose hope in getting a reward for coming back to us when the leash tightens. And then at that point, they'll start to ignore the leash tightening sensation because they just don't have any hope that they're actually going to get a reward from us because we've been rewarding so infrequently. So keep it at about 25%. I know that's kind of like a weird number to think about when you're on your walk. So what that pretty much means is on your walk, every four leash tightenings or leash pops, your dog should be getting a reward. It doesn't and shouldn't be that regular. So it shouldn't be like three go by, nothing happens. The fourth one, you get something. Three go by, nothing happens. The fourth one, you get something because then the dog will start to actually pattern it and only pay attention on the fourth. But just kind of think on average, you want to be doing it about 25% of the time. Now a break cue. Do you need one for this type of walk? You actually don't. You can let the dog go wherever they want. Their job is just when they feel that tension to come back towards you. This type of training is all about creating the expectation for what to do every single time the leash is on the dog. So it just becomes what to do when the leash is on. If it goes tight, I, the dog, go back to my owner. And there is no other time when the leash is on that we would want the dog to pull and ignore the tension. So there's no need to have a release cue because when the leash is on the dog, that means you're not supposed to be pulling me. You're supposed to come back to me when you feel tension. I'm never going to give you a break from that being a rule. That's just a constant rule. And this goes for our final training technique as well to teach a loose leash loose leash walk. (laughs) It's so hard to say. I hope you guys are laughing when I mess up that word. I mean, I'm laughing at myself, but it's hard. It's hard to say those two things together. But anyway, both of these protocols, this second one that I'm going to start talking about as well, both of them establish this law essentially that's in place whenever the leash is on. So this last and final technique, which By the way, you can combine with the one that I just ran through for double the impact. This last one is to teach the dog to pay more attention to your direction and your movement and wherever you are while you're on a walk. The reason why this technique works or the way this technique works is if your dog has one eye on you or half their focus on you while they're on their walk with you, 
They're going to start to gravitate towards sticking with you, turning with you when you turn, stopping when you stop, and going in the direction that you take. So they kind of have some of their focus on you rather than completely tuning you out and doing whatever they want, which is typically what most dogs do who pull on the leash. So to teach this, you need a longer leash than six feet to start with. I like to start with a 10 to 15 foot leash. And this is so that the training at the beginning is a lot easier for our dog. It's at a much easier level until they start to get it. And then we can graduate them to shorter and shorter leashes. So to start out, I want you to go to an area with your dog where you have room to move in all direction without getting snagged on a tree or a bush or anything. Fields are great. So you can go to a park and do this. Um, Roads are great. If you have a low traffic neighborhood, you can do this in the middle of your road. Just depends on where you live. I trained this with Loki in the road because we just don't have a lot of traffic where I live. When you go to train this, you need your 10 to 15 foot leash. And you also need to have a certain type of collar, just like we've been talking about. I prefer for this training the dog to have a slip collar on so that they do feel that tension and release. You can also use a martingale collar, but I would not recommend using a prong collar or a star mark as those typically for this type of training deliver such a strong pressure to the dog's neck for this exercise that it could feel too intense for them and we don't want it to feel super aversive. We still want this to be like guiding suggestive pressure. So I always recommend using a slip leash or a martingale collar for this one. All right, so once you're in your open space, you've got your long leash and your proper collar, you'll begin by just walking in any direction. You just embark, you just start out. As your dog notices that you just started moving, they're going to move with you and most likely they're going to pass you. (laughs) If they're used to pulling, they're definitely going to pass you. As soon as they pass you, I want you to say heel and then turn and go in the opposite direction. So you're gonna do a 180 degree turn. Make sure when you do that, you're only holding the very end or your very end of the leash, the end with the loop in it, so that all 15 feet can run out behind you. Now, when I say you're going to use the word heel in this training, that doesn't mean that we're teaching the dog to come into heel position. You could really use whatever cue that you want. You could use purple or elephant for all I care. I just like to use the word heel because we don't often say it in our everyday conversation and it's just on theme with training a dog to walk nicely. It just goes together in my mind. Heel goes with teaching a dog to walk nicely. They're in the same category or the same box. So that's just the word I use. But anyway, back to my setup. So as you're now walking away from the dog, the dog is most likely continuing going in the direction that it was. It hadn't noticed that you turned yet. So now you're walking in opposite directions until it gets to the point where there's no more leash and the dog feels the leash and collar go tight. At that point, you need to continue walking. So you're going to feel resistance because all of a sudden the dog's going to hit the end of it. And well, depending on how big their dog, they, your dog is, they could be heavy. <laughs> I want you to keep walking so that that pressure increases if the dog stays where it is. And we teach the dog to follow the leash, a.k.a. follow you, in order to make that pressure go away. So it's like they're being pulled in your direction. Typically, 
when that leash goes tight, the dog has this moment of realization that you've been moving away from them this whole time. And they're like, oh my God, they went the other way. I better go catch up to them. So then they start to come back towards you. You feel that leash go slack. And then typically... Once they catch up to you, they move ahead again. And this is normal. This is totally what I would expect to happen if I was training a dog with this protocol the first time. So after they pass you, once again, you're just going to say heel and turn and go in the complete opposite direction. So your job for this particular training is when your dog passes you, as soon as they pass you, you say heel and then turn around and go the other way. All of this repeats over and over and over. As it does... The dog starts to get wise to this game and pays more attention to you. So even if they do go ahead of you, when they hear the word heal, they'll stop and turn and look to see if you're about to go off somewhere else. And then when they see you walking away, they choose to follow you all without the leash ever going tight. When this starts to happen regularly, where you can say heel, change direction, and the dog just starts to follow you without needing the suggestion of the leash going tight, we then graduate to a shorter leash. So now, when we're on a shorter leash, say if we started at the 15, we'll graduate to a 10, the dog has less time to decide after they hear the word heel whether they want to follow or keep going where they were intending to go before that leash gets tight and insists that they actually follow you. And again, we repeat and repeat until we can't catch the dog anymore. Think of it like a game where you're trying to catch the dog while they're not paying attention and they're trying to turn with you before the leash gets them. With practice, we shorten the leash more and more until we're on our six-foot leash and we really just can't catch our dog anymore. They're just too wise to this game and they follow our movement. Once we have that, we practice in a variety of locations to show the dog that this game applies everywhere. And then we can go on our walks with a loose leash because our dog is moving with us rather than going wherever they feel like. And if they ever really get to the point where they feel that leash tension, they instinctively will turn to you to see if you change direction rather than pull harder into the tension. I like combining the two loose leash walking techniques into one to build a dog that learns A, to move with you, and then B, to actually come back towards you when they feel the leash tighten rather than just kind of like check to see if you're about to change direction. And that's it. Those are my three ways that I teach a dog to walk nicely on a leash depending on what the owner wants to achieve. So if you want a dog that walks next to you, maybe you live in a busy area and you really can't give the dog a lot of freedom on the leash to kind of wander in any direction, maybe you live in a city or something like that, the heel protocol is probably your best bet. If you have more room for your dog to meander and move, then either of the two loose leash walking trainings or the combo of the two of those would get you golden, get you where you want to be. Now you also know the answer to why dogs pull on the leash in the first place. So you have a clear understanding of how to prevent that A, if you ever get another dog, stop it from day one, if it's a brand new dog at least, so if it's a puppy. If you're rescuing a dog or uh, getting a dog from a shelter or something like that or somebody else owned it and you're taking it on, most likely it's probably already had all that prior learning at some point. So you got to go with one of these three training setups but if you got a green dog, now you know how to prevent them from learning that they should be pulling into the leash. But if you do have a dog that pulls already, you now have steps to end the pulling and train your dog to walk 
better with you. Having a dog that doesn't pull really makes walks so much more enjoyable, at least in my opinion. I know some of you probably don't care. There are people who are like, whatever, I'll just let my dog pull me. I don't really care. I prefer going on a walk and not muscling my dog around with me. Although sometimes I will just put Loki in his harness so that he can pull wherever he wants to and walk with me when he wants to. Because those are my like lazy days where I don't really want to have to be so consistent. So know that you can do that too. But make sure that if you're teaching your dog to do something specific in response to the least tension, you must make that an absolute. There is no pulling on some days and walking nicely on others. It's just too confusing for your dog and you're not really going to get anywhere. So use the tools as a cue to your dog as to when they are and when they're not allowed to pull. So for Loki, when the harness is on, he's like, oh yeah, I can pull. I can do whatever I want. Well, not whatever I want, but <laughs> I can pull Dana around. It's not a big deal. But when I have any of my other collar tools on, he knows, oh, I'm not supposed to pull into these. I'm supposed to yield to pressure or we're doing specific healing right now. I'm not supposed to leave this position. Thanks for tuning in to this month's episode. If you try any of these techniques, make sure you join the Facebook group for the podcast and share your progress. I want to see you guys trying these out and I'll help you troubleshoot anything if you get stuck. If you liked this episode, found some value in it, share it with a fellow dog owner and then subscribe them to the show so that they get notifications when future episodes drop. If you'd like to get in touch with me about training or give feedback or ask a question, the best way to do that is by visiting my website, mycaninecoach.com and requesting a consult or you can always send me an email at caninecoachdana at gmail.com both of those are listed in the show notes you can also subscribe to the email list via the website to get updates from all things canine coach you can get training tips and alerts when episodes drop and newsletters that cover all the major points of that month's podcast episode. So you don't have to go back and listen to the full episode to review the highlights. So jump in if you want those emails. But most importantly, please like and write a review to help the show grow. That's really how these episodes get out to more people. So please like and write a review of the show. And that's it for this episode. I will see you next time. Loki and I are going to go do some training. Mm-hmm.